Okay, thanks for sticking around for our Lenten speaker series brought to you by St. Joseph Radio. Um, tonight, tonight we have two, pre two presenters. Um, their presentation is by Joanne Kleekamp and Carolyn Martin. They were teachers, and after 30-plus years of devoting energy to the classroom, they decided to switch a little bit and begin sharing their faith with others. So they started with um, book studies. They first did something called Familia, which was a course that was designed for mothers and fathers to help them become better spouses and parents. And then they went to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and then the Encyclicals of John Paul II, and then numerous book studies by Father Michael Gately, which many of you probably recognize, and uh, most recently a study um, the, of the consecration to St. Joseph by Donald Galloway, Calloway. But tonight they've switched again, a new topic, and tonight they're going to talk about the comfort, comforting the heart of Jesus. Joanne and Carolyn. Good evening. It is such a privilege to be here with each of you on this beautiful Feast of the, Ascent of the Annunciation. In honor of this feast, let's begin with a prayer to our Blessed Mother and to the Holy Spirit. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death, amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, and they shall be created, and you will renew the face of the earth. Lord, by the light of the Holy Spirit, you have taught the hearts of your faithful. In that same spirit, help us to relish what is right and always rejoice in your consolation. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. This is one of my favorite feast days of the church because it is central to our salvation. I will never forget when I heard Mother Angelica's thoughts concerning this feast. She said, it was almost as if the world stood still when the angel Gabriel asked Mary that all important question of whether she would become the mother of God. Mother Angelica went on to say, the leaves on the trees didn't blow, awaiting her answer. Creation stopped. Then it came. Be it done to me according to your will. Creation shouted for joy. It was then that our salvation began. Approximately 33 years later, Jesus died for you and for me because he loves each of us so much. How appropriate that this feast is the day that we get to talk about the amazing message of consoling Jesus' heart and his divine mercy for each of us. You will see that trust is at the heart of consoling Jesus and what a tremendous amount of trust Our Lady had in accepting God's will. But first, Joanne is going to give us a little background on how we were introduced to this concept of consoling the heart of Jesus. About 10 years ago, an announcer on the Catholic radio station 
was interviewing Father Michael Gately concerning a couple of books that he had written. In much of our talk this evening, we will be referencing this book, Consoling the Heart of Jesus. You can see that mine's a little tattered. <laughs> As teachers, Carolyn and I were always looking for a great Catholic read to share over the summer break. So my ears perked up upon hearing Father Gately speak, and I shared some information with Carolyn. Soon after, we decided to attend a conference on evangelization. Upon arriving at the conference, we decided to browse the book tables. To our surprise, there was the book. We purchased copies, and when we got back to our seats, one of the ladies at the table looked at her books and prophetically stated, that book will change your life. Well, we kind of looked at each other and thought, really? I have, we've read lots of books, but changing our lives? Neither of us thought that could happen. But her words proved to be so true. That summer we poured over the book and were amazed at how it touched our hearts. We highlighted and starred and underlined so much, and little by little, we began to understand the great personal love and mercy God has for each one of us. We came to realize that we really could help console Jesus. We were so excited about this life-changing message. We wanted to share it with everyone we knew. So first, we decided to buy multiple copies of the book and give it to all of our friends. Much to our disappointment, no one seemed interested. Eventually, we realized that God was calling us to share our experience of his mercy and love in bigger ways. We tried putting him off, but the Holy Spirit was persistent, and finally we did answer his call. We then discovered that Father Gately had just developed an entire program based on his book, including videos and a workbook. It was clear God was calling us to offer a parish study to share his amazing message. After successfully presenting this program, we decided that we really should start with his first book. Father Gately recommends, and you may remember this from Deacon Dave, who talked about 33 Days to Morning Glory. Um, he was the first presenter in this, in this series. The book is about consecration to Jesus through Mary. Jesus gave her to us as her, our mother while he was dying on the cross, and she takes her mission very seriously. She has implored us, do whatever he tells you. Through the ages, she has appeared to many, begging us to listen to her son. That brings us back to why this Marian feast day is perfect for our talk about how to console the heart of Jesus. After all, who consoled her son better than Mary? So you may ask, how does this work? After all, how can Jesus, who's in heaven, be suffering? Aren't those in heaven supposed to be happy already? Some will say that Jesus is happy in heaven, but this applies to the members of his mystical body. 
It is true that we console Jesus when we help the poor, the sick, and the lonely. However, our first focus should be on giving consolation to Jesus himself, the head of the mystical body. So you may be thinking exactly what Joanne and I thought. Why would Jesus need to be consoled? Pope Pius XI had an explanation about consoling the heart of Jesus with the idea that we can give Jesus retroactive consolation. God's time is not the same as our time. In fact, there is no time for him. For us, either something has already happened, it is currently happening, or it will happen in the future. For God, it just is. Even though we had not yet been born at the time of Christ's passion, he could see the sins that we would commit, those sins that caused his great suffering and our need for redemption. This also means that he could see the good works we would do and the consolation we would give him. It might be better explained from a Holy Hour book from the National Enthronement Center of the Sacred Heart. It is part of a meditation on what happened in the Garden of Gethsemane and Jesus's great suffering and consolation. His misery increases. He sees passing before him his executioners, blasphemers, insulters of his cross, those who deny his gospel and his love. And he repeats, I love them, Father, forgive them. He sees passing in review the apostates, the renegades, the multitude of lukewarm souls, his whole body trembling and covered with blood. He falls on his face to the ground and he utters the cry, Father, I have come into this world to fulfill your will. If it is possible, let this chalice pass from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. But in those moments, too, the names of each one of us, yes, our own names, resounded in the depths of his agonizing heart. In that holy hour, he saw us all here present, and now bringing him a sweet consolation. He saw us coming with the angel to strengthen him. He felt that we were sustaining and comforting him by our sacrifices, our tenderness, and our love. Now that we have discussed why Jesus needs to be consoled, you may wonder what hurts Jesus most. Maybe some terrible sins, such as murder, or maybe rape? Surely, seeing such sins would have pierced Jesus' heart. It may come as a surprise, however, that such sins don't seem to be the ones that hurt him the most. Through apparitions of Jesus to some great saints, we learn what hurts Jesus even more than these grievances. One of the ways Jesus is really hurt is our lack of trust in him. Other sources of his pain include our lukewarmness and our seeing him as one who wants to punish us rather than save us. In the 1600s, the heresy of Jansenism was rampant. 
people were afraid of God. Many were drawn away from the Eucharist and feared receiving him. They saw him as a vengeful God, ready to pounce on them as they sinned. So Jesus looked for someone who would take pity on his aching heart. Eventually, he found such a friend, a little nun named Sister Margaret Mary. Appearing to her on the cross, he said to her in a voice filled with sadness and grief, All I get back is ingratitude. I witness their irreverence, their sacrileges, their coldness and contempt for me in this sacrament of love. Jesus waits for us in the Blessed Sacrament. What is our response? In a recent Pew Research study, it reported that a whopping 69% of Catholics did not believe in his real presence in the Eucharist. 69%. In the time of St. Faustina, I doubt that it would have been this high. But what the Lord said to her remains even more pertinent today. Oh, how painful it is to me in Holy Communion. I wait for souls, and they are indifferent toward me. I love them tenderly and sincerely, and they distrust me. I want to lavish my graces on them, and they do not want to accept them. They treat me as a dead object, whereas my heart is full of love and mercy. In order that you may know at least some of my pain, imagine the most tender of mothers who has great love for her children while those children spurn her love. Consider her pain. No one is in a position to console her. This is but a feeble image and likeness of my love. When we talk to Jesus, do we go with our laundry list of items we wish for, seeing him like a machine into which one puts a coin and then automatically gets graces? Time with our Lord is so much more than asking for things. Father Gately suggests we imitate St. Therese the way she appeared before him. Observe her prayer as she looks deeply into the heart of Jesus, truly present there. Her face is full of compassion. It's as if she sees that this good Lord who gives and gives is tired, sorrowful, and himself in need of help and consolation. She sees he is hurt when people are cold, ungrateful, and afraid of him. St. Therese sees his aching heart, which is so neglected. She sees that she has been given so much by this good and gentle Savior and allows her gaze to penetrate more deeply into his sacred and Eucharistic heart. She sees him as he is. Isaiah, in chapter 69, verse 20, prophesied, Reproach has broken my heart, and I am cast down. I looked for one who would grieve together with me, but there was none. And for one who would comfort me, 
and I found none. Who are we if we don't have compassion on such a sorrowful friend who looks for a, to us for comfort? He says to us, Behold this heart which loves so much, yet is so little loved. Is there anyone who will console this heart? Is there anyone who will be my friend? This lament could be described in some of the last words of Jesus on the cross. I thirst. These words are not meant to describe Jesus' thirst for water, but rather his thirst for each one of us. He thirsts for our love, for time spent with us, for us to give him some thought during our busy days, for a kind word, for praise of him, a suffering offered for him. Mother Teresa of Calcutta made Jesus' statement, I thirst, so personal that she told her sisters to imagine Jesus saying those words directly to them. She even encouraged them to put their own name before the words, I thirst. We can do the same. We can put ourselves in the silent presence of God in a quiet place at home or in front of the Blessed Sacrament and prayerfully imagine Jesus gently calling our name and speaking his parting words from the cross personally to each of us. Carolyn, I thirst. What are we doing to comfort him? Some might say, Jesus is God. He doesn't need us. That's true. But as God, he also knows that friendship cannot be one-sided. Thus, Christ humbled himself and chose to feel a burning thirst for our love so that we might enter into genuine friendship with him. But how can we be his true friends unless in some sense he also needs us? Jesus chose to need our love because he knows how desperately we need his love. He knows that for us it is a matter of life and death eternally. St. Therese of Lisieux, who lived in the 19th century, helps us in choosing eternal life. She is one of the most popular saints, with the ability to stir into flame the smoldering embers of our desire for sanctity. St. Therese says that she compared herself to the great saints, whom she called eagles, and found herself lacking. Instead of becoming discouraged, she said to herself, God cannot inspire unreasonable desires. I can then, in spite of my littleness, aspire to holiness. It is impossible for me to grow up, so I must bear with myself such as I am, with all my imperfections. But I want to seek out a means of going to heaven by a little way, a way that is very straight, very short, and totally new. She goes on to say, We are living now in an age of inventions, and we no longer have to take the trouble of climbing stairs. For in the homes of the rich, 
An elevator has replaced these very successfully. I wanted to find an elevator which would raise me to Jesus, for I am too small to climb the rough stairway of perfection. I searched in scriptures for some sign of this elevator, the object of my desires, and I read these words coming from the mouth of eternal wisdom. Whoever is a little one, let him come to me. And so I succeeded. I felt I had found what I was looking for, but wanting to know more, oh my God, what would you do to the very little one who answered your call? I continued my search, and this is what I discovered. As one whom a mother caresses, so will I comfort you. You shall be carried at the breasts and upon the knees. They shall caress you. Ah, never did words more tender and more melodious come to give joy to my soul. The elevator which must raise me to heaven is your arms, O Jesus. And for this, I had no need to grow up, but rather I had to remain little and become this more and more. Jesus does not want us to be stuck at the bottom of the deep staircase of perfection. Moved with compassion, his heart absolutely breaks when he sees so many souls falling into the pits of discouragement, despondency, and even despair. The arms of his heartfelt compassion reach down to embrace such little souls and carry them to the heights of holiness as he taught St. Therese. He says, I see your weakness, but be not afraid. Just trust me. Let me do it. I will make you a saint. Be not afraid of your savior, O sinful soul. I make the first move to come to you, for I know by yourself you are unable to lift yourself to me. Just trust me. Father Gately, tells us that the spirituality of her little way that St. Therese offers herself not to God's justice, but to his merciful love, an act that's just as pleasing to him as an offering to his justice. Father Gately goes on to say, in fact, it may be even more pleasing to him, for while an offering to justice has at its aim the alleviation of suffering of sinners, the explicit aim is to alleviate the sufferings of Jesus. What Jesus longs for more than anything is that people will let him love them completely. In St. Faustina's diary, she shares many specific ways that Jesus said we can console his anguished heart. In spite of all the times that Joanne and I have studied these, we are still amazed to see how many ways we could better console him. So we would like to share some of these with you, but please don't be overwhelmed by the many options. Just pick a few that really speak to you. In Father Gately's book, he gives us an acronym to remember five ways we can console the heart of Jesus. 
simply think of the little bird called the finch. It, um, if you take each letter in the word, F, I, N, C, H, it will remind you of these ways. But don't worry about remembering these. They're included in the handouts in the back of the church. F stands for feast. The Divine Mercy Feast takes place on the Sunday following Easter. It is a great feast where God pours out his mercy on us. Jesus told St. Faustina that he wanted the message of this feast day spread and made known. He asked her to go talk to the priest about this. The priest told her that we already have this feast day. St. Faustina told Jesus what the priest said, and Jesus' reply was, And who knows about it? I want the image to be solemnly blessed on the first Sunday after Easter, and I want it to be venerated publicly so that every soul may know about it. This feast emerged from the vast depths of my tender mercies. Every soul believing and trusting in my mercy will obtain it. I pour out a whole ocean of graces upon those souls who approach the font of my mercy. The soul that will go to confession and receive Holy Communion shall obtain complete forgiveness of sins and punishment. On that day, all the divine floodgates through which graces flow are opened. Let no soul fear to draw near to me, even though its sins be as scarlet. The great grace of Divine Mercy Sunday just wipes away all punishment, even if you are not completely detached from sin. If you died right after communion on Divine Mercy Sunday, you would be headed straight for heaven with no stop in purgatory at all. It's like a second baptism. To receive this awesome grace, Jesus tells us to make a good confession so that we are in the state of grace when we receive Holy Communion on the feast day. It is also understood that we should have the desire to receive this grace and trust that we will receive it, it as, as well as to perform some acts of mercy. We can gain so many graces by following these simple conditions. Don't miss this wonderful opportunity that God in his great mercy has given us. Now you may think that gaining these graces from this feast day sounds more like a consolation for us than a consolation for Jesus. But this is what Jesus told St. Faustina. I desire to bestow my graces upon souls, but they do not want to accept them. You at least come to me as often as possible and take these graces that they do not want to accept. In this way, you will console my heart. The flames of mercy are burning me. I desire to pour them out upon human souls. Oh, what pain they cause me when they do not want to accept them. I is the next letter in the word finch, and it stands for image. This is the image of divine mercy. Jesus says the following. 
I promise that the soul that will venerate this image will not perish. I also promise victory over its enemies already here on earth, especially at the hour of death. I myself will defend it in my own glory. Jesus continues. The two rays of the image denote blood and water. The pale ray stands for the water, which makes souls righteous. The red ray stands for the blood, which is the life of souls. These two rays shield souls from the wrath of my Father. Happy is the one who will dwell in their shelter, for the just hand of God shall not lay hold of him. My gaze from this image is like my gaze from the cross. I am offering people a vessel from with which they are to keep coming for graces to the fountain to the fountain of mercy. That vessel in this image is this image with the signature Jesus, I trust in you. N is the following letter in the word Finch and it stands for novena. A novena is usually a prayer that is prayed for nine days. The first novena in the church was the nine days before Pentecost. And um, we have this pamphlet for you also in the back of church. And it has, the, um, it has the information on how to say the chaplet and also the novena with the group of people to pray for each day. Jesus explains this special novena to St. Faustina. I desire that during these nine days, you bring souls to the fountain of my mercy, that they may draw therefrom strength and refreshment and whatever grace they need in the hardship of life and especially at the hour of death. On each day, you will bring to my heart a different group of souls and you will immerse them in this ocean of my mercy and I will bring all these souls into the house of my Father. On each day, you will beg my Father on the strength of my bitter passion for graces for these souls. This novena can be prayed at any time, but a lot of people like to begin the novena on Good Friday, then it ends on the, the Feast of Divine Mercy. Um, and, and that can, on that, uh, that would be one act of mercy that you could perform um, for the Feast of Divine Mercy as well. And the letter C stands for the Chaplet of Divine Mercy. The Chaplet actually takes less than 10 minutes to pray. During the Chaplet, you say short prayers and meditate on the Passion of Jesus. Once again, Jesus tells St. Faustina how much he desires to be consoled. Say unceasingly the chaplet that I have taught you. At the hour of their death, I defend as my own glory every soul that will say this chaplet. Or when others say it for a dying person, the pardon is the same. When this chaplet is said by the bedside of a dying person, God's anger is placated. Unfathomable mercy envelops the soul and the very depths of my tender mercy are moved for the sake of my sorrowful passion. Even if the sinner to re were to recite this chaplet only once, he would receive grace from my infinite mercy. Jesus continues, 
There is more merit to one hour of meditation on my sorrowful, sorrowful passion than there, than there is to a whole year of flagellation that draws blood. The contemplation of my painful wounds is of great profit to you and brings me great joy. <clears throat> and finally, H is the last letter in the word Finch, and it stands for our, the three o'clock hour in which our Savior died. Three until four o'clock in the afternoon is the hour of mercy. Jesus promised St. Faustina that he would give great graces to all who would ask for them in this hour. I remind you, my daughter, that as often as you hear the clock strike the third hour, immerse yourself completely in my mercy, adoring and glorifying it. In this hour, you can obtain everything for yourself and for others for the asking. It was the hour of grace for the whole world. Mercy triumphed over justice. My daughter, try your best to make the Stations of the Cross in this hour, provided that your duties permit it. And if you are not able to make the Stations of the Cross, then at least step into the chapel for a moment and adore in the Blessed Sacrament, my heart, which is full of mercy. And should you be unable to step into the chapel, Immerse yourself in prayer there where you happen to be, if only for a brief instant. Wow, what a merciful God we have, who wants to grant us mercy no matter what our situation might be. You may even want to set an alarm to remind you of this hour. In his mercy, Jesus also gave St. Faustina this short but beautiful prayer that is one of our favorites. It can be said along with the chaplet or by itself any time, but especially during the three o'clock hour. When you say this prayer with a contrite heart and with faith on behalf of some sinner, I will give him the grace of conversion. This is the prayer. O blood and water, which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus as a font of mercy for us, I trust in you. So I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one here that has loved ones who are in need of conversion. Isn't this a perfect prayer? This prayer can also be found on the handout in the back. Father Gately explains one other aspect of consoling Jesus through a conversation he had with Father Seraphim at the National Shrine of Divine Mercy in Massachusetts. We'll do a little role playing here with Carolyn taking the part of Father Seraphim and I will take the role of Father Gately. Father, it's all about consoling the heart of Jesus, isn't it? I could tell he was pleased with my question. Yes, yes it is. And we want to console Jesus in the best possible way, right? Right. And the best possible way to console him is to remove the thorn that hurts him, his heart, uh, excuse me, that hurts his heart most, the thorn that's lack of trust in his merciful love. Michael, you are absolutely right. Great, I completely understood, I thought. And how do you live trust? What's its concrete expression in your daily living? 
I don't know. The way you live trust is by praise and thanksgiving, to praise and and thank God in all things. That's what the Lord said to St. Faustina. As soon as I heard that, I knew it was true, for I remembered how St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta had often written about the importance of accepting everything with a smile, with praise and thanksgiving. In the words of St. Padre Pio, pray, hope, and don't worry. In recent years, there's been a pandemic, discord in our country, and even in our church. There is a war and rumors of this war expanding. It can be very easy to give in to despair and despondency. But remember, this lack of trust is exactly what hurts Jesus the most. When you feel yourself giving in to these temptations, instead, try to remember all the good things God has done for us and put a smile on your face. Remember, we're on the winning team. God is never outdone in his generosity. We have always found, whether we are leading a group or preparing for this talk, God gives us so many blessings in relearning about his great mercy and love. If you are interested in sharing this message, we assure you that this program is very easy to run. Father Gately has the books, workbooks, and videos available on allheartsoffire.org. This website is written at the bottom of one of these holy cards that's with your handouts. Okay, so we're gonna end with a meditation by Father Gately. And after that, there will be time for questions and comments or comments for those that would like to stay. We'd like you just to sit back and relax as you spend this time as Jesus' disciple. You may find it helpful to close your eyes as we meditate. You're the Lord's disciple. You've been following him through the lands of Israel. From the place where you first responded to his call, through the desert, grassy plains, mountains, valleys, and that beautiful Sea of Galilee where he walked on water. You've been with him. Now it's late at night. The campfire still blazes. Its soft crackling mixes with the chirping crickets. There is the Lord, alone, sitting before the fire gazing beyond its flames, lost in prayer. You draw closer and sit next to him. He gazes beyond the fire, its light dancing on his face. Sitting here so close to him, you can see it more clearly than ever. Profound sorrow. Something in your heart convinces you that this sorrow comes from his not being understood. So what are you doing approaching him? How can you relate to him? Perhaps you should go back to sleep. It seems he still hasn't seen you. Despite these thoughts, something urges you to speak to him. Something inside you wants to console him, even though he seems unreachable. Jesus, I see your sorrowful Lord.
He still gazes beyond the fire, motionless, eyes glistening. Should you continue? You do. Lord, here I am. I don't know exactly why you're so full of sorrow, but I'm here to console you. Take me and use me as you desire. Use me to make you known and loved, weak though I am. Help me to love you. Jesus, I see how gentle you are, and I trust you. I know that you know me better than I know myself. You know what I can take. I put myself into your hands. Do with me what you can. Behold, I believe. Help my unbelief. I trust in you. You turn back to the Lord, expecting to see him still gazing toward the fire. But now you turn back to him. Your eyes meet his. He's looking directly at you. What's this? He's surprised and joyful. His face is awe, awe, and amazement as he gazes on you with wonder. He suddenly exclaims in a loud voice, startling you. My child, this is what I've been waiting for. This is the faith I longed for as I sat here. Never mind your weakness. I can take care of that. You've given me the freedom to work in your soul, the freedom I've been waiting for. Now here, receive my blessing. He reaches over to you, places his hand on your head, and proclaims, You, my child, will go before me to prepare my way. You will give my people knowledge of my mercy and love, and you shall continually delight my heart. Thank you all for coming. God has blessed your parish to have April 23rd set aside for a Divine Mercy Conference, including Mass and Confession. We invite you to ask the Holy Spirit, Our Lady and St. Joseph, to to help you to put your total trust in Jesus and his goodness. We wish you a continued blessed Lent, Holy Week, and Easter. May you celebrate Divine Mercy Sunday with joyful expectation of receiving this profound gift of mercy offered through his extraordinary promise. Thank you. Thank you.